2: Hello, pod people, and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the show where two movies with something in common go head-to-head to to figure out which one did it best. On Monday, we caught a plane with Liam Neeson, and today we're catching a train with the big band. It's my first time on a commuter train. What about you?
0: Every day, last ten years.
2: Ten years? You must know everyone on this train.
0: I'm sorry, have we met?
2: No, I'm Joanna. Michael. I study human behaviour. My job is to answer one basic question. What's that? What kind of person are you? Let's do an experiment. What if I asked you to do something that could profoundly affect an individual on this train? I don't understand. Someone on this train does not belong. All you have to do is find them. Know why? Because it's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello Clash Podders, I'm Chris Tilly.
3: I'm Vicky Crompton.
2: And we are still Zane Free, which is gutting as I feel like he'd have some strong opinions about these two movies this week. Yes. I also think he'd have some good plane and train stories.
3: Uh, it depends how you feel about being told uh, that he's in business class yes. or first class yes. constantly, yes, which I have found becomes jarring. Yes, you're he's, absolutely yeah, right. Not got the common touch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Alex, not here to defend himself.
3: <laughs> the fruit basket in business class is terrible. <laughs> No, it's brilliant when he's not here to defend so himself. You, you can say what you like. It's great.
2: He's too tall. Um, before, <laughs> before we get stuck in, I usually read out an iTunes review at this point as we love receiving those. <laughs> uh, well, the good ones at least. But this week... <laughs> Don't I'm, say that. It makes me feel sad. This week, I'm reading out an email instead, Vicky. Great. Uh, because I feel responsible For this,
3: You are the curator of the emails.
2: Uh, Two weeks ago, uh, the start of our Godfather 2 episode, I read out an email that mentioned precogs and it had a rude joke in it. Yes. And I didn't understand it and I read it out and I didn't realise it was because of autocorrect. And so I fear that I made the person who read it out feel bad, that, you know, they'd made a mistake and it got read out. They have emailed us. Oh, lovely. So... Uh, The email goes, I'm so sorry about my review that you read out on this week's show. Imagine my delight when I heard my review being read out on my drive to work this morning. Then imagine the slick of cold, greasy sweat on my skin and the sinking feeling in my chest when I heard my stupid joke fall flat and be undone by an autocorrect error. I get so anxious when I write anything for anyone else to read that I can't bring myself to proofread it. My thesis professor used to say, if you don't edit it, everyone else will. She was right and I should have listened to her. I can't believe I have a fucking English degree (laughs) and work as an editor part time. As pointed out, it's supposed to be get, not they, nor lay, or whatever the fuck I wrote. Uh, I would explain why precogs is actually pretty funny and works pretty well in the joke, but I think that was fairly well covered. Thank you to Vicky for dragging my unlovable brand of wordplay just over the line, and my deepest unending apologies for putting that evil into the show. Forever mortified, Cena Stanley. You're so, so
3: welcome. <laughs> it's just a kindred spirit Yeah. it took me a while but the thing is if I hadn't have got it when I got it I wouldn't have been able to concentrate for the rest of the programme because it's like what, what is it what is it what is it oh there it is
2: I just feel bad that if someone was listening to us for the first time because they like The Godfather sure, yeah, and yeah. we did five minutes on that <laughs> on Ejaculate it was horrible but um, there you go Thank I you. liked it yeah. and I'm here all the time it so was fine. one of our favourite ever reviews and one of our favourite ever emails So thank you. Uh, Right. On Monday, uh, we boarded a flight with Big Liam and now we're catching a train. So, Vicky, take us on that literal journey.
3: In the sleepy village of New York City, life moves at a different pace. Things are slower here. Everyone knows everyone else, especially on the train. In fact, it's such a tight knit community on one of presumably hundreds of journeys into literally one of the busiest stations in the world in the most densely populated city on Earth that someone who doesn't normally get that train would stick out like a sore thumb. A sore thumb that Liam Neeson's sad, angry dad man has to find. Because even though the person he's looking for would presumably be shit scared after witnessing a bad murder and the best the FBI can do is to tell her to take the fucking train and not even get her an Uber or have someone go with her and she'd be so shit scared that anyone could find them because you'd just find the terrified person running for their life. Liam's got a particular set of skills that mean he's the man for this very convoluted job, which he eventually does, as well as get his best mate shot to pieces and killing a man who has a guitar for no reason with that guitar. The end. (laughs) Just about
2: said you love this film.
3: I went to the cinema to see this film, as I've mentioned. What about you?
2: I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, but I have seen it and I couldn't remember any of it. It's it's a similar story. I'm
3: only laughing in glee because we've made you do these films, and it's, it pleases me now. And sometimes this is not. I'm not having to go at you. You need bringing down a peg or two when it comes to the choices of the films, because you do get a lot of and you've got incredible suggestions. But sometimes, uh, just a cheeky gem like this raises its head, and it's got to be dealt with.
2: So, you know, my abiding memory from Nonstop and The Commuter, watching both of them, mm-hmm. is at the end thinking. Oh, I'll never have to watch these films again. <laughs> that, that, I'm pretty sure that went through my mind both times. The, I'll never have to think about yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I won't have to. I certainly won't have to talk about them. No, why would you? I won't have to analyse them. <laughs> I won't have to write you nine pages. To, you don't
3: want to pick at that scab. There's nothing there.
2: So, um, thank you for that joy. But yeah, I might have gone to a press screening. I might have watched it when it came on Sky. I does,
3: yeah, it's so because you buy DVDs of everything. I buy DVDs of nothing. And non-stop in the commuter. are strangely, I've got The Godfather. Donnie Darko, which I think you gave to me, and Non-Stop in the Commuter, those are literally all the DVDs
2: I've got. I might <laughs> need Donnie Darko back when we get to it because I've only got the director's awful cut. So
3: I think maybe I am guilty of giving it undue prominence in my affection because I'm like, if I only own four DVDs and half of them are Liam Neeson
2: action thrillers, then they must be awesome. I don't buy everything. Um, I only buy stuff that I think we're going to do on the podcast when it's got additional material that might be useful okay. and a lot of stuff I buy is in second hand shops I've got one near me and it's five for a pound <laughs> I'm spending 20p on these discs. do they
3: work well, do you know what I buy DVDs for the kids from charity shops they never work so I've stopped doing it I've not it. had
2: that problem yet a lot of them haven't got watched they're in a pile for future Clash episodes <laughs> But yes, so uh, Vicky Yeah, um,
3: I've done a bit of background on this I mean, let's not gild the lily, Chris There's not an absolute ton to say I have one sentence (laughs) Go, please open with that
2: um, uh, when they do, when Liam Neeson does fights in films, yeah, he goes to the fight rehearsals. He tells them what he thinks works and what he thinks doesn't work, and then he says them tells them what he thinks he can do and what he thinks he can't do, and that's how they figure out. But they love fights. that.
3: They're like, well, the thing is, we've got a script.
2: <laughs> yes, but he's not a young man. He's not a young. Man. <laughs> and he's literally I mean, now. I cannot backflip anymore. <laughs>
3: cross that bit out I mean the only thing that's a little bit of a wrinkle is when you were talking about the writers of a non-stop I have here um the, the script, sorry, screenplay for The Commuter, I've got three writers, one of whom apparently worked on Non-Stop, but I don't think you mentioned him. Ah, uh, Ryan Engle. Yeah, that's yes. it. Yes, yeah. so,
2: because he does connect both films. Yeah. I, I guess he probably did a rewrite on uh, Non-Stop because I, I got my quotes from the premiere where one of the ra- writers was just talking about him and his writing partner. So. Yeah,
3: I mean, these three writers, so, uh, Ryan Ryan Engle, Brian Willinger and Philip de Blase, they all get screenplay credit, uh, but Willinger and de Blase get, a story by as well and so I read this that they were first time writers Ryan Engel comes along you know they've got this great idea for a story which everyone is in love with and sort of polishes it up into be a sort of big grown up screenplay mm-hmm. um, there were a couple of other directors attached um, Olatunde Osun and Sammy, and then a year later Julian Gerald then it sort mm. of sits about for five years yeah Julian Gerald it's okay mm-hmm. uh, from Kinky Boots to The Commuter it makes perfect sense but <laughs> um, but then in 2016, uh, Jam Colette Sarah comes on board. But because of this, because of Colette Sarah, it just, you know, becomes a Liam Neeson thing because they've worked together three times by that point. So Yeah,
2: and they got one more, Run All Night. Run as All well. Night, non-stop. Have you seen not. Run All Night? No. So you, you talk, you're saying you have this genre. I talk a big game, yeah. Yeah, you haven't seen Unknown <laughs> or Run All Night? No, I haven't. It's all right. Is it? It's all right. It's not great. <laughs>
3: I've seen Taken twice, so that counts. <laughs> so yeah, um, it becomes a Liam Neeson thing, and that's kind of it. So Colasera uh, said that when he read the script, he saw the parallels with Nonstop. He said it's a spiritual sequel to Nonstop, or you could say these are my words now. It's the same film remake, a remake, yeah, uh, with a mystery evolving around your central character. And it has more impact if your protagonist is, protagonist, sorry, is a normal guy, which we'll come back to because I think that's true. That's what I said. It, with nonstop, I think um, Bill's character is so unusual and in his sadness that it's quite hard to give a shit about what he's just achieved. And then you give a man a family and it's pretty straightforward. You know, whatever. Um, and... <laughs> This brilliant quote, which I won't read all of, but it just made me laugh because the same interviewer talked to Liam Neeson. I got a quote from Liam Neeson about what attracted him to the character of Michael McCauley and the commuter. And he just says, you know, Michael's been taking the same train for 10 years, five days a week. And then he gets fired because he's hit the age of 60. He doesn't know how to tell his wife and he's double mortgaged his house. And He just goes on to describe the whole plot as the answer to the question, what attracted you to this character? So that's not an answer. Uh, Maybe it lies in the fact that there is no character, not really, beyond the stuff that happens to him. Um, And just a shout out to Vera Farmiga, who I really, really, really like. And I would like us to do The Departed to talk about her. But obviously we need to do Orphan first because we keep doing everything else that this
2: guy's done and not Orphan. Anyway. Yeah, Liam Neeson was saying that I think it was Joel Silver invited him to watch... An early cut of Orphan, right? Uh, to to see this director's work, and that's what sort of got him interested in working with Joam. But then he said also, uh, seeing Vera, yeah. I was really keen to, <clears> to <throat> so do think something with incredible. her. She's incredible. She's a great just actress. got
3: such uh, presence mm. and all the rest of it. She's, I think, she's brilliant in The Departed. Um,
2: <laughs> but I'm not talking about The Departed though why sadly
3: (laughs) (laughs) because of me (laughs) anyway so that's all i have which is obviously that was a thrill ride but shall we talk about the real thrill ride which is the film let's get stuck in yes all right so we meet michael mccauley he's in the bosom of his family but god his family life what a fucking grind (laughs) his beautiful middle-class affluent existence surrounded by people who adore him what a boring pain in the ass this is. <laughs> I love it. I mean, there's the conceit here where they go through a whole year of Michael's life. Yes. And I read lots of quotes from the director and the producers about how f- awesome <laughs> this is and how pleased they are. Because they were like, we have to get across what a grind it is being a commuter. It's a difficult sell to people who do do commuting. Yes. Which is me. Although I don't come from very far, but I I count my little journey as you know from you know into town as a commute, and it is a grind. But Michael's life just looks lovely, and I think this is important because it is meant to be lovely. Because then his life is tipped upside down. But I think they're walking a fine line between showing the monotony of the everyday, but actually his monotony seems quite nice. I was given an example of a film I saw recently where I thought it worked, which was Nobody with Bob Odenkirk, and when they're setting up his grind, it does look awful. Um, yes. because he hate, he clearly seems so unsatisfied but uh, I, I think Michael's middle class life looks kind of enviable yeah and
2: it's there to make him seem relatable yeah um, and it's telling us a bit about his relationships with his son and his wife which at, seem
3: nice
2: it's fine yeah. it's normal
3: it's normal life yeah. it's
2: normal although he does that weird thing where they point at their ring when they look at each other Ugh. and I feel like I don't know that feels like a threat to me like don't forget <laughs> You've got me at home. Do not jack anyone else. Look at your ring.
3: That's so true. We're married.
2: Um But I also it's there to show that he has a very set routine that means yes. anyone could know where he is and what he's doing at a specific time.
3: Yeah. I mean, there's so many questions, which I don't know the New York public transportation system like I do the London one. Yeah. But the fact that even later on, jumping ahead a tiny bit, Patrick Wilson says to him when he's in the bar, aren't you supposed to be on a train right now? And it's like your train is therefore never late. You never get the next one. Never. You're always on the same train. Good, what well, good job, New York, because that does not happen here.
2: No, I, and and I think there's, uh, I think it's a bit of both, but I don't think any transport system is as bad as ours <laughs> in terms of the lack of reliability. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it's it's it is beautifully shot. It's really economically done, and yeah. I think the music here is stunning That's as a well. Good point. Yeah. It's it's just a beautiful piece of orchestral yeah. music. Yeah.
3: There's no I mean, there's no wrinkles in his life though, because his family life is good because his work life is about to explode. Yes. is the important part. So I can only think you know, when you're writing a film like this i'm I'm reaching, but you you know, you pick a job that you think that someone, you know he's it, it, does he love it so basically Michael sells life insurance. Why does he sell life insurance? Why does he not sell? Car insurance. Why does he not do X, Y, Z? It could be because those are the kind of jobs where you can get canned from them pretty quickly with like no benefits. Or is it because he hates life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my temptation. Michael McCauley hates life. Therefore, he sells life
2: insurance. I'm unsure.
3: Um, but yeah, anyway, he does get canned at his age, which is rough. really rough. I've yeah, had to
2: think about that a lot. Well, it's funny that they try. You know, he, he he when he gets made, the moment he gets made redundant, he sort of stops hearing what the person's saying. Yeah. I have experienced that.
3: When you were going to shock.
2: Yeah. Yes, when 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 I was made redundant. It is a it is a very strange feeling.
3: Did you not know it was coming? Is that a bit messed Not personal? really no. Oh, that's awful. And,
2: and you're sort of you're trying not to cry. Oh and you're thinking you're just thinking about a million things at once and you can't really focus on what they're telling you. Yeah. So I thought they captured that moment really, really well. Yeah. It brought it actually gave, gave me horrible flashbacks. I should have had a trigger warning yeah, this film. A bit
3: traumatizing. Have you ever had to fire someone or make someone redundant?
2: I have not, thankfully. No. no I've hired, hired a lot of people but never had to make anyone redundant. You don't redundant. do the fiery. <laughs> no, I mean, to be fair, the day I got made redundant so did a lot of my team so it was quite a sad day all round. Yeah. But, um, I was just the first of the day.
3: <laughs> Longer in the pub, I guess. Yeah,
2: it was a long day in the pub. It really was. We were there by about 11. Great.
3: Yeah. Till closing. Um... So let's just talk about the supporting cast in Mm. this film and also in Non-Stop. I think the supporting cast are brilliant. Yep. Starting with um, Jonathan Banks, who we all know from Breaking Bad.
2: Yes, I have a problem here. Oh, why? Jonathan Banks is best known uh, for Breaking Bad. Yeah. Do not call him a character called... Don't make him Walt. Walt. Yeah. Don't make him Walt. It's rude. It's ridiculous.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I mean, in terms of the casting, it is awesome because you see him and you assume he's dodgy because we we are going to have the same thing as we did in Non-Stop which is like who are we looking for kind of thing mm. and who is behind all this um and there's a moment where you think it could be Walt because he's Jonathan Banks and you're used to seeing him in place like the Did
2: you? I didn't I didn't oh, get yeah, that yeah, feeling here because I think other than Mike he normally plays cops like yeah, he's, normally, that's he's true. normally a goodie like in Gremlins. Oh yeah. Of course we 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 clock that one. But no, fair enough, fair enough.
3: And he's a big name. And so when he, you know, spoiler alert, he gets squashed. It is a shocking thing. (laughs) Um, And so after Michael gets canned, he goes to the bar like you did, Chris, when it happened to you. Mm -hmm. And he's got Patrick Wilson, who's a cop. And freaking Sam Neill is in this film. Mm -hmm. So equivalent to when we rang the alarm, because Julianne Moore is in the other film. Sound the fucking alarm because Sam Neill's here.
2: Sure, and and also, uh, his character David Hawthorne is giving uh, Patrick Wilson's character Alex Murphy. They're giving each other some weird looks. Yeah, it's casting suspicion on Hawthorne. Yes, here. he said something, and the way he's look, they're looking at each other. So again, it's doing the same thing that Nonstop did in terms of red herrings everywhere you look. Yeah, there's a red freaking herring.
3: There is, and when and then Patrick Wilson says to the Neeson's character Michael. You should be on a train, which is a weird thing to say to someone, uh, but makes sense when we get too late.
2: And the plot is obviously playing out on the telly in the background and they're making it obvious, but you can't really hear or see, but it's just corruption is on the TV. there is some
3: corruption happening somewhere in New York. Yeah. Pay attention. So then there's a big crush to get back on the train. And then I was so distracted. I was like, is that fucking Andy Nyman? Yes, it is Andy Nyman. Amazing. Um, so there he is as a New Yorker accent maybe a bit wobbly but also always nice to see him
2: one of our finest actors one of our finest actors one of our greatest men (laughs) I'm a huge Andy Nyman
3: I know you are and I was thrilled to bits to see him and he he looks the part yeah it's great he seems to know Michael uh, very well which is it's just this weird thing isn't it it's like do you know anyone that you spend the commute with I would say no. Um,
2: no, obviously, this film does make you think. I think you sit there going, well, this is not real. People don't do this. But I do, I guess you do see the same faces and you might nod a hello to them. And I think it's just
3: with British sort of general frigidity and yes. unwelcomingness that we don't talk to people. Because but- I
2: feel like I've had more conversations. On a train in America, on the underground, than I have in England. Yeah. I think it's a bit scarier the underground in the states, uh, the subway. Yeah, but also people are a bit more open, just mm. because that's the the nature of, of of an American and a New Yorker. So, yeah, so this might be more normal.
3: Yeah, that's that's what that's what I had to have a word with myself because, and you know, whenever I am on an actual train. If, an, if there's a northern person on the train and they catch wind of my northernness, they're talking to me. That's it. We're done. We're, we're having a conversation for however long they want, because I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have no choice in the matter. We're going to talk about the north for two hours. Yeah, you know,
2: you should, I don't know if you've heard this before. Northerners are friendly. We're so fucking friendly. Salt of the earth.
3: Yeah, I'm not, but the rest of them are.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was an eye opener to me, though, when I, you know, I, I went to uni in York and... The, that thing of going into a pub on your own and striking up a conversation yeah. was relatively normal. Yes. Whereas the thought of doing it in Croydon no. is insane. You're a <laughs> p- target on your back.
3: Or oh, I mean, you just, I, yeah, you're either, it's just that if reflex action in London, which, and I don't know if it's the same in other major cities, but certainly in London, the minute someone's talks to you, you're like rooting for, for the maze, like, Back off! Don't talk to me. Because <laughs> like, what's your problem? Like, why? Yeah, what is, all- is wrong with you? Yeah, what is wrong with you? I don't want to have a conversation. It's awful. I know. So I find it hard to shake that off when I go to Manchester. Because you're like, don't even look at me. Anyway. Um, so oh and also a shout out so I don't know is it Adam Negatis from The Terror? Did you recognize did you watch The Terror?
2: I only watched the first episode.
3: So he's um he's the conductor on in the commuter. Okay, yep. He's so good in the He's this. good, yeah, he's very good. He's brilliant. Very he good. was brilliant in the terror as well. So there's and there's tons of people like Florence Pugh is in it. I um, oh, will get to all the other brilliant yes. people. But it's just such a, uh, an excellent supporting cast. It makes the whole experience very, very pleasurable. So we've established our supporting cast. We're on the train. We're on the way home. Michael's had his phone nicked. Anyway. The like, AC
2: is out. The
3: AC is out, which again is something we can sort of understand one day a year when the whole train melts and then that's it. <laughs> um, so we're going to enter here the mysterious lady, which is Vera Farmiga. It, she's got such presence as I said but when she sits down I think even she to me there's a little bit of a glitch with the character where she's like I've never been on a train
2: mm. <laughs> you think what the fuck she says it's eclectic
3: <laughs> she says it's miscellaneous which is worse like what does that mean there's a variety of people.
2: Yeah, there is. But I think this film, not in terribly successfully, is trying to push a sort of class divide. That's right. a, the, Oh, so, I see. So we're meeting all these people that are just trying to make a living, are struggling economically, yeah. um, particularly our leading man. And then she, I feel like they're trying to say she's coming from a different socioeconomic background. Okay. And so that's why she's saying this is my first time on a train. She's got these very expensive shoes on that they keep closing up on. They do. And I do think all the way through this film they're trying to make uh uh, points about it wouldn't be the class divide but the the economic divide happening in america and you know they 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 mention the subprime market and yeah. these two economic problems that have really messed Michael's life up.
3: Yeah. And they should get a shout out. And it is, you know, it's different. You, It's hard to... No, you could think of it. I think if a character in a British thing said this is on behalf of the British middle class, it would be a very funny moment. It'd be very sort of... But it's a, it's a funny moment when Michael McCauley says it, but you also think, yeah, good for you. Like, it's... It, you, I can see that you've oh, been screwed
2: over. Okay. You said good for you. I was dying of cringe at Were that you? moment. Yes. Oh,
3: because it's just because he invokes the middle classes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's
2: just a bit it's a bit much. But um but yes, and obviously that character Vince is 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 also he's just all about money and so it's um yeah, played I'm... by Shazad uh, Latif. So that's another connection uh, Star Trek Discovery. He's really good in Star Trek Discovery, in Star Trek and obviously That's the Captain awesome. Anson Mount was in. Because um... I
3: only I love him, but I love him as Clem Fandango. Yes,
0: God, yeah, yeah. I
3: can't even say the words yes. Clem Fandango without starting to laugh. He's yeah. absolutely brilliant. He only gets two lines every episode, and they're the same. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) oh fuck he's so fucking good yeah I was so pleased to see him because he's a brilliant actor yeah and I just maybe I thought that the Clem Fandango thing he'd sort of got lucky he was good at that but he's incredible yeah
2: he's cocky rude arrogant arsehole here and he's good at it but the character is pretty badly drawn isn't it? it's very
3: central casting we need you know a broker kind of thing there's no nuance to it it's like he's a horrible person because he's a broker he's a broker because he's a horrible person kind of thing Um, Vera Farmiga I would say if you are a baddie and you need to disappear maybe don't wear like a villain uniform which is like black and white (laughs) it's going to make you easy to find in future, yeah,
2: um, but she's interesting. She says so she studies human behavior. She knows personality types, <laughs> and I think she's just really creepy here.
3: She is brilliantly creepy. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know, it's a good role to see uh, a woman who doesn't feel threatened in that sort of space, mm. and she is she has her power and all the rest of it. the The only wrinkle is she's like, I I study human behavior. Basically, mm. she's like, if it when it comes to human behavior. I'm the expert. I'm the best. Mm. So why does she doesn't need Michael McCauley? Because she's looking for someone who's out of place. So someone who's out of place is going to display certain behaviours, mm. which is what she's asking him to find. She could do it in 20 seconds, is my feeling.
2: Yes. She shouldn't I mean, do it because she's
3: a baddie and all the rest of it. But at the point when she says, I study human behaviour, you could be forgiven for thinking, well, do it your fucking self
2: then. The plan is convoluted and silly and illogical in non-stop. I think this is a lot worse. Me too. And I think it gets worse. It gets progressively worse. Because at the moment, it's, it's, you know, she's preying on someone who's financially vulnerable. So it's the 25K and then the 75K. She's offering him to do this thing that won't have any consequences. um, Retrieve something that was stolen. And it sort of makes sense. This little task. It, it, It seems simple enough, but, when you take a step back, what is the plan? But the, <laughs> what, what you know? Ultimately, he's responsible for that woman's death. What's his motive supposed to be? He lost his job, so he killed a teenage girl. He had a teenage <laughs> girl. It's,
3: it's like, yes. Yeah, but that's but that's it. Yeah, that is terrible. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, they just—I love the challenge of the contained location, which is why I love both these films because I love you have to write your way through it. There's nothing else that can affect it. We don't have in nonstop, you know, the, the F, F-18 pulling up alongside kind of mm. thing and delivering supplies. Like you do get in a lot of plain based thrillers and with The Commuter, there aren't any, um, no one else gets on, do they? can't remember anyway but there are very little external influences so you've got to write your way through it and i do think it does a good job of it you know later when they're like oh the we're all going to move into the same carriage because the ac has gone down good like easy little things like that it's good writing it's it's a simple it's effective it makes sense you buy it but obviously in trying to stretch out the plot Mm points really when you boil it down like you say it's ludicrous that especially if the fbi have got a prize witness why have they put her on a train
2: by herself? And there are all these train killers. Why aren't they doing this? They're sending cars of killers to people's houses, and it's like, no, send them to the train to kill the person. <laughs> yeah. You're wasting time and money and resources. Yeah, it's extremely
3: elaborate. All this elaborate. extraneous stuff,
2: like you've, you, literally, you've
3: <clears throat> you've stolen someone's wedding ring, maybe. That's yes. weird and, and elaborate.
2: You've added this complication. They, they, they talk, uh, Luke, on the foot ramps, I'm talking about this. When you're taking a penalty, the odds are in your favour as a striker if you blast it in one of the corners. Yes. Massively in your favour. Yeah. Then you get these guys who come up and chip it down the middle yes. to be clever. As soon as you do that, your odds are going down. Once you add in that wrinkle. Yep. And I yes. feel like they've added 10. <laughs> <laughs> they've added 10 to what should be a very simple thing. Yeah. She should figure out who it is and tell that guy oh, shoot to them, shoot them herself. It's yep. just... Anyway, I think it's time for a break.
3: Oh, thank you, Chris. <laughs> I, honestly, I had my eye on the time. Let's take a quick break. Thank you.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. Post your free job on linkedin.com
2: slash achieve today. And we're back. Although I'd already said let's take it, break. You didn't Then need to say it I know, but me.
3: I need the help, don't I? Like, I, need, I need the practice.
2: <laughs> well, I'm looking at the clock and you answer. So yeah, okay. Just so you know, listener, it's behind Vicky the clock. So always. So she has to turn.
3: Always. And I don't like to turn because it feels unprofessional. Um, so, yeah, uh so yeah, the 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 trap is set kind of thing. The game is afoot given that uh, everybody thinks that Liam Neeson is Sherlock Holmes when he's not and he takes the money.
2: <sighs> yeah, first he has to crawl around in the toilet of a train to oh, find what? it. <laughs> yeah, I know. No thanks.
3: I was thinking about that. Like not on any I mean, those slidey door things at the moment, they give me the horrors, but the amount of sticky floor business down there by a yes. vent, absolutely not. You deserve it for going rooting around down there. <laughs> Um, so he takes the money but then he sort of has a little it's not like a change of heart but it's like you know he isn't just going to follow through and do this thing until he gets a warning Uh, another great supporting cast member from Letitia Wright who just pops up for a second as a skateboarder and says they're watching you and what happens here is he has shown a ring that looks just like his wife's ring, which you could think if you were a cop and you're used to working the motions, they've just got a ring that looks like my wife's ring. I know it's brutal, but really, for that to button that scene needs to be her finger.
2: Oh, wow.
3: <laughs> but it does. Can it always you? is. It is in everything else. <laughs> so why isn't it her finger? It's the, um, the big Lebowski with the toenail, the, yep. with the nail varnish. That's the only way to do it. Otherwise, I can get you
2: a toe.
3: <laughs> it's three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's weird later, you know, when he's listening in on the family mm. and he happens to catch them. I don't know how that's possible anyway, but he happens to catch them at just the point where Elizabeth McGovern is like, Danny, have you seen my ring? And it's like, is that the that's the first time you've asked that question? Mm. Just so convenient that you would hove in at that particular moment. Nonsense. Yeah, it's a problem. But fine. Um, like we say, Walt, not Walt from Breaking Bad, but Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad gets killed. So there's a very elaborate thing going on here in order to find print. So then. Michael McCauley must walk through the train. This is where it's very similar to non-stop and this is not exhilarating. So in non-stop, you're looking at a chain of text messages. In the commuter, he's marching down the carriages mm. looking at ticket stubs. That's not good. It's not exciting. No, um, there's It's just
2: it's just not very good. Um, Yeah, he's got to plant a GPS tracker in the bag of the person that he finds and he's just getting these instructions and it's still feeling like speed, but a less good version of speed. Yeah. And... Um, you're right he's, yeah he's got he's working out the numbers represent how far you're going on the back of the chairs zones. I mean I feel like he would know that anyway if he's been travelling that train for five years because there's nothing else to do on a train oh yeah that's what the tickets mean it's just <laughs> I don't know I don't know and yeah he gives he gives Vince the finger on behalf of the poor people
3: yeah really
2: hammering home the theme yeah. um, he gets pepper sprayed
3: he does. Florence Pugh pepper sprays him. Which he
2: recovers from remarkably quickly. He's meant I be- to put
3: you down. I, isn't I believe it? that Mace will
2: fuck <laughs> you up. But I guess he's leaving Neeson. He's probably got strong eyes. Hasn't <laughs> <laughs> he? He's like Superman, yeah. bullets bounce off his he's eyes.
3: He's got little fists in his eyes. <laughs> or he's like a shark, and then a membrane just closes over his eyes. And he can just, he's entirely waterproof.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But he's wandering up and down the train, and it's lacking, I think, that. 20-minute ticking clock that non-stop gave us. Yeah. There's this vague sense of there's a station. Because we don't know where
3: Cold Springs is. So yes, it's like exactly. We, it could be the next... It's not, we know it's not the next stop because it would be announced, but it could be in four and a half hours for all we know. Yeah. And just someone looking at ticket stubs, you know as a, a seasoned movie watcher, you're waiting for the one that doesn't say seven or doesn't say six, but God, if, if so fucking what? Like... <laughs> It doesn't quite work. I mean, when you're you, in writing, you'd say, okay, you need to put a GPS tracker on someone. So you're, you know, you need to create the most difficult situation in which to put a GPS tracker on someone. Is that a very crowded situation where you're bump? There's millions of people you could identify. Is it a very sparse situation where you don't see anyone? Is it a situation where if you touch someone and they think you've touched them, they will kill you? Like, it's not necessarily marching up
2: and down a train
3: yep. trying to find someone. Agreed. Um, in any case, he marks the wrong person, the fucking idiot.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Now, Dylan, <laughs> he fights Dylan and then what, during the fight, he secretes the device. He like, oh, I don't say secrete, it's gross. Um, Sorry. <laughs>
3: so, gross. so anyway, and then what we're getting to, next big thing for me, which I did really like because it made me feel super stressed, was when he's on the floor of the, of the tracks. So he's yes. gone under, the, the train has stopped, everybody off the train kind yeah. of thing because he's alerted the authorities. Yeah. And so he hides in the floor of the train, which puts him right next to the tracks. But then... It's like someone kicks the lock of the door and now he's trapped. Yeah. But he has to get back on the train. And so he has to roll over the track yeah. with his and it's super stressful. And it's cool because the wheels are coming towards him.
2: Brilliant. Yeah, he's down there with a corpse. Oh yeah. He's down there with a dead body of Dylan. Um, yeah, he manages to chase a train. Yes, he does. Uh, and jump back on which is what Dewey and Unstoppable should have done, if you remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would have sorted it all out.
3: Because Liam Neeson, as we said, is it, it, and it's his words, you know, I'm, I'm not as good as I used to be kind of thing, and yep. yet, piece of piss to run after a train. Yeah,
2: piece of piss, but he does lose all the money in the oh, process. Oh, yeah, he does, doesn't that he? That flies out of his bag. Yeah. Um, I would question some of the CGI in this film as well. Yeah. It's looking very, whenever we're outside the train, mm. it just looks bad.
3: And it's not that old, so it's no. interesting. no. Um. there's so there's some of the the themes about this the type of man that Michael is I get it for him but I would I wanted to ask you this so hmm. he has a bit of a you know it's the, the honesty moment like he had the honesty moment in non-stop where mm-hmm. he was like I've lost my daughter and I, I've got a drinking problem and so this is his honesty moment where he's basically saying I got fired and I'm too scared to tell my wife and it says this it either says this in literal words or not so many words you know if you lose your job you're not a man and bearing in mind that I've seen his home life and his marriage seems strong and his kid adores him and it's all good. I can understand the financial pressure, but are we expected to believe that Elizabeth McGovern would be like, yes, I agree. You are no longer a man to me because you got fired today. Or is it it meant to be on his character that he pours all his belief in what it is to be a man is to never get fired. And actually Mm. that's his sort of, that's his portrayal of masculinity and it's a strange thing to carry because his wife, we believe would be like we'll figure it out honey don't you worry like he's not in a precarious relationship um so i don't know
2: I, I i wasn't sure what i was supposed to take away from that no i think you're right that doesn't ring true because they've not set up that maybe she's a materialistic person and that mm. would be an issue or she doesn't uh, they don't set up that this job defines him because yeah. i think being a cop is what defined him and yeah. he, i don't think he's that happy in this job so he shouldn't care as much i mean i feel like it's all boiling down to him. He's got to send off the money for, for college. college today. And so he's literally ruining his son's future yeah. with the news that he's bringing home. And so I think that's what is yeah. the issue. But Maybe it does it
3: if he says, you know, if you can't provide for your family. Exactly. You know, that's yeah. what I mean. It's yeah. like
2: ruin- ruining Danny's the- life. Yeah.
3: Who loves him to bits and would
2: forgive him? Yeah. Yeah.
3: And, you know, he could get a job. I was going to say he's a smart kid, but he's still struggling with Lord of the Flies and he's about 25 years old. So he's not that fucking smart. We did it when we were 12. So I don't know. And I went to a shit school. Um, so. He plays poker.
2: Texas Hold'em with does, the guys. Yeah. Now,
3: Long if, train journey. I if thought. you're
2: playing poker and... Even if you've seen him and recognise him and know him a little bit, a bloke walks up to you who's quite dishevelled and covered in bruises and his nose is bleeding. I don't know if I'd if deal... You
3: give a card. I, I
2: wouldn't deal him in. No, thank you. I, you need to go and... You stink. You need to sit down over there.
3: No, that's the thing. I don't want to talk to anybody on the train, but I definitely don't want to talk to someone who looks like he's rolled on the floor. And killed people.
2: No. So, yeah, also we are sort of jumping over the fact he has direct, he is directly responsible for um, having an FBI agent killed. Yes. I mean, it's literally, he's the one, he said, he basically, he knew the person was going to get killed. Yeah. And he He thought it. it was him. He thought it was the wrong person and he got them killed.
3: I mean, I struggle a bit with the some of the hype, not necessarily from reviewers, but and understandably, like we said with Nonstop, from the people involved in making the film. It's their baby, I get it. But they're like, we have set up such a moral quandary. here. You know, what would you do? And I don't feel that because there were, there's no consequence really for him for what he did, which is get an FBI agent killed. I don't think they've really explored the moral conundrum as far as they could.
2: Well, because they've made it too easy. Because his family's in danger. Yeah. Take the family out of it. Yeah. Make it all about the money. Yeah. Make it a guy who really desperately needs this money. Maybe it's even more serious than 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 the son not being able to go to college. Yeah. And have it just be about you know what will you do for for, for money for money yeah uh, because as soon as the family come into it. He's got no choice. He's yeah. got to go through with it for as long as he can because, yeah. you know, anyone would.
3: And that makes sense as well because you could, you know, you start with a small amount of money, not and something not too wild. Do this for a small amount of money mm. and then you're in. Because if you say to someone, "Do something terrible for a million pounds," yeah. it's quite easy to disengage and be like, "That's a lot of money," and this is something. But if you, you know, bring someone in ever so slowly,
2: there's yeah. a, there's a great film called cheap thrills which that is the plot where yeah. this guy who's really needs money and this couple see him in a bar and they just start betting him ten dollars he won't down that drink or whatever yeah. and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier until at the end yeah. he's doing some terrible things that sounds great yeah it's a good movie oh okay Th- this
3: this is a great movie. movie this is a great movie because uh, I'm sorry Chris but that's a left handed guitar <laughs> oh my
0: god how...
3: he's the world's greatest detective talk me through this talk me through this <laughs> I don't know what's happening <laughs> the the man who's a, who's also in on it has got a guitar no one i don't he's got a guitar for the purpose of the plot so that Liam Neeson can suspect him but then he's like no i'm i'm not who you think i am why have you got a guitar then so he's got a guitar well, he's got a guitar so that Liam Neeson can kill him with a guitar but i normally love moments where he's like you're not who you say you are because that's a left-handed guitar. Flashback, flashback, flashback. Mm. You're right-handed, but it's so rubbish. And also left-handed guitars are rarer than right-handed guitars, so it's a stupid thing to do. I don't know. It's it's the equivalent, again, in non-stop of the free flights thing. Yes. Like It buys you a bit of time. It kind of connects with the story a bit better than it does in non-stop, but it's just a thing that you could swap out for another thing, and it wouldn't be any less
2: or more satisfying. But it does mean that they have this pretty impressive fight through an empty carriage. yeah, looks look like it's almost in a single shot and it's quite brutal. It does mean that Liam Neeson can use the arm of a guitar yes. to smack at a bloke, yeah, which is quite satisfying to watch. Although they then it's looking great and then they weirdly sort of speed up yeah. the footage and I, I didn't like that. No, I agree with you. Did not care for that.
3: And it becomes clearer, or clearer to me anyway, that Prin is hiding and that the FBI have let their star witness... Take the train, mm. and that annoyed me um, because I'm, not, I'm sure resources are tight. But you couldn't even send someone with. Basically, someone knows who Prin is because Prin is a witness. So if you're a witness, but no one saw Prin at the scene of the crime, presumably Prin, or if they only heard over, vo- I don't know. I don't really get what was going on. But someone knows who she is, so someone could be go with her. Is what I thought.
2: Yeah, well, it was her friend that set her up with the FBI. So maybe she's only spoken to the FBI over the phone, yeah. and they just said get out of town. But no, it, I mean it's it's terrible what they're doing. But worse than that is the code name. Who came up with the code name? So she's called Prin. Mm. That is Hester Prin from the Scarlet Letter. That's the book she's reading. So <laughs> did did the FBI give her the <laughs> code name Prin, and then she went and bought a copy of the Scarlet Letter? <laughs> To read on the train, so she could know get some back, get her backstory, or did she have the book out in front of tell the FBI person? I'm reading the Scarlet Letter, and they said, "Oh, well, that'll be your code name." Yeah. Um the book you're reading so no one will figure that out I don't understand how she got the name Pryn and why she's reading the book so
3: she's on the phone she's like help me help me FBI I've just seen a bad murder yeah no problem listen just before we put you on public transport uh, are you reading anything at yes. exactly. No, exactly it makes no sense <laughs> I love the idea that she's like Pryn is it well okay I'll just go get a copy of it to pass the time because yep. no one knows where Cold Springs is and it could be six hours away and you've got to do something brilliant Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, We're building up to an important moment uh, because it's equivalent to the non-stop plane going to eight thousand feet, which is the train just goes to pieces. Although Mm. it did make me think of Unstoppable, and it's a shame that we watched that first in the sort of the run of the shows because that seems there's so much at the train admin done brilliantly about you can't a train can't just go to pieces and everything's fine. You've got to Mm. clear the line, you've got to do lots and lots of stuff, and this train just goes to bits and no one gets hurt who's down the line, all the rest of it. There doesn't seem to be any like, collateral damage. Um, and it seemed quite unrealistic, but it looks good. I, I really enjoyed the train crumpling up, mm, going to bits.
2: It looks bad.
3: No, it's the CGI looks bad, but, yes. it, but it looks good. Okay. Kind of thing. okay. I'll tell you what I did like, though. It's similar to um, whatever I said, claimed I learnt in Nonstop. Newspaper on the windows. Love, mm. I
2: love that. Yeah. I thought that was great. They power through um, that place they were supposed to go. Cold and the, the federal agent, Kingsley Ben-Adir, mm. great actor, mm. another British actor, because they, you know, they shot this in England. I did
3: know that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and that's why, so you've got Pew and Nyman and him all playing Americans. They've yeah. just peopled it. And I thought they missed a trick. They could have had a guy on the train in a black suit with a Crystal Palace scarf as an extra.
3: Oh, my God. You're so right. That is what it needs, actually. All jokes aside, Chris, seriously.
2: I would have brought a lot.
3: You would have brought some much needed.
2: I won't, I won't tell the story again. <laughs> <laughs> I know you want me to.
3: Tell me later. I love that, that story. That's for the pub. <laughs> so, newspapers on the windows because Michael knows they're going to try and take the witness out. And so if they can't see because they don't know what she looks like, blah, 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 etc. However, the cast that we've not spent any time with, they are set free. <laughs> so some people are allowed off the train, but they're just people we don't know and don't care about. Even though any one of them... Could be Prin.
2: Yeah. Uh, so they're let go. We we also learn at this point that it's it's all to do with the death of a city planner. Yes. That is not interesting. No,
3: I I disagree because of Chinatown. So yes, but well, well, no. But
2: then give us some context. Just all yeah. they ever say is it's a city planner. That's true. That's not enough. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, I feel like the writer, the writers are saying that's not the point. The point is this very straightforward action thing. You don't. This detail is not important. I felt like it was important. Okay, but what? Otherwise, what are the stakes? What was this all for?
3: Bribes, dirty money. S- I, well, we do Yeah, contracts, water. You know how this goes, Chris. City planners are weirdly powerful.
2: Yeah, well, give me, g- give me a reason. Give me an explanation. It wouldn't work would in Britain. It's like.
3: I know, I've got someone on the inside at Lewisham Council <laughs> um, so Patrick Wilson gets on the train because he's the cop and he's the good guy at this point mm. But it
2: all looks quite Tony Scott here uh, yeah, I agree with does. you that the, the, this, this, the, the way it's lit and the way it's shot is looks great.
3: Yeah, um, Patrick Wilson as something McMurphy, Randall McMurphy. What is he called? Alex
2: <laughs> Murphy. And I, if you're if you're shouting at us at the moment, I'm getting to the Alex Murphy thing. But um, yeah, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Don't trust the Warrens. <laughs>
3: yeah. You know, we, it's the conjuring couple. Yeah. Do not trust. Well, he needs to work on his uh, big speeches because yes. he's got a little bit of an Achilles heel yes. in which he can't stop saying the word noble, yep. which no one ever says, apparently. Yep. So he's giving Michael a big speech about something about being right, but being noble and all yep. the rest of it, which Prin recognises because it's the same bullshit he came up with when he killed the person, when he killed her cousin or a friend. Um. So the jig is up, uh, Sherlock. We know who did it. Um, and Patrick Wilson's had enough, and he's like, "Tell me, tell me who Print is," and we get an "I am Spartacus" moment. Mm. Um, which,
2: how, did, how did you feel about that? I
3: felt I, many emotions. Mm. So first emotion, no, don't do that because mm. don't go for the big guy kind
2: of thing. Yeah, I think you were. I think you were right with your first emotion.
3: Then I felt like a bad British person because I think the writers are trying to go. The commuters so past the daily grind, mm. and stood up for each other. And yep. isn't that lovely? And then I have that instant reflex of like, that would never happen here. No. Gross. And then again, so then the internal disgust is like, what's wrong with me? Why do I push people away? <laughs> Etc. cetera. <laughs>
2: No, I I just don't think we understand this sentiment. Remember that first Spider-Man where he's doing it for New York and they all cheer on the train and it's like, no, that's not for us.
3: Yeah, I know. I mean, we get proud of things, I guess, but we just don't like talking to other people, ever. I'm (laughs) Prynne. Everybody would just be looking at the floor. Please let this be over. Fucking shoot someone! (laughs) I'm so fucking late and hot and bored. And P.S. This journey cost me four thousand pounds a year, incidentally. (laughs) So anyway. There's a fight and I like this, even though it's daft. Uh, Michael, so sorry, uh, Murphy's got this blue light thing that marks him Mm. out as a cop so that the people with the heat-sensitive cameras can see who's who. Liam Neeson pinches it, which means someone who I believe the film is saying to me is his buddy, is his best mate, is his ex-partner, all the rest of it. Uh, He gets his friend killed, shot to pieces. No chance of survival. Yep. Yeah. but then everyone's fine. You know, he gets let off the train. Prin, it looks like he's about to go badly for Michael. And Prin says, no, he saved me. And everyone's like, oh, great, awesome. That clears all that up then. No problem. Yeah. Off you go.
2: I think Hawthorne maybe says that guy's a goddamn hero. He's a
3: goddamn hero. He just got
2: an FBI agent killed. <laughs> an innocent FBI agent.
3: Yeah, and sacrificed his best friend. Yeah, well, He the, was a baddie. The cop
2: was a baddie. I'm fine with that. But I don't think he's a goddamn hero. No.
3: It's always a problem for me in any film where you make a character... Say how awesome the main character is mm. when they've not quite. Yes, it, you did. you're
2: you're making up for something you've not achieved.
3: It's something Alex always says: It's telling, not yeah. showing. Yeah. Don't, if it was, if you were such a hero, no one needs to go around pointing it out, do they? Because no. it's quite obvious at this point that you're a goddamn hero.
2: But I love that they're trying to give everyone an arc in this in this moment as yeah. well. So, or, or a climax. So the, the nurse whose boyfriend isn't being nice, she's suddenly got a bit of romance out with of the, nowhere. T- yeah, out of nowhere. Gwen is dumping her fake IDs so she's moving on from her horrible boyfriend. (laughs) Her bad
3: life, yeah. Um, Uh, Go on. Oh no, it's just that's it. So the family, this is a bit of a missed opportunity. There was nothing wrong with his family life and now there's still nothing wrong with his family life.
2: But also, uh, in this moment, Hawthorne reveals that there was an ongoing investigation into Murph happening. Yes. Why did they send him in? Good point. Good point. <laughs> I feel like this is a yeah. big hole.
3: Yeah. Oh um, yeah. The, yeah, the one that we're looking into, the the dodgy one, definitely send him on.
2: That's a good point.
3: Yeah, mm. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, again, it's just writing. it's writing through a problem, then forgetting what you've written, and then just writing something else. So that's why. Yeah, because
2: earlier our conductor, um, just before the he dies on the train, yeah, says, "I always knew this train would be the death of me." Yeah get a different job sure if you know if you <laughs> that the train's going to kill you get a, just you don't have to stay in this job you're going to increase your chances of survival
3: do you are certain i'm certain
2: it's the train or the people <laughs> a all percent. right if
3: you're if you're absolutely <laughs> the sure The train
2: or the people get off the train
3: because <laughs> once you're off the train you don't have to deal with the
2: people no or the train <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> and so his family are thrilled to see him because they're always thrilled to see him and there's no nothing to sort out there. Um and then we get a little colder. Mm where Vera Farmiga is once again wearing black and white because she's in a villain uniform. She's on a train. And she's on a train. Why she, is she on a train? She never goes on trains. So I suppose the film is going, who fucking knows what this girl is up to, but she's looking for her next mark. You know, she's doing She's doing it again. She's right. acting again. Yep. Oh, again. Okay. Uh, yeah. What that's what she does. Good she takes point. trains. She's
2: reading The Count of Monte Cristo. She's
3: reading The Count of Monte Cristo.
2: Maybe that would... Be her, her code name is Cristo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so... I was genuinely calling Brian. Then sorry, they, su- they
2: suggest that she might have got him fired. I like that wrinkle from
3: the insurance company. Yes, yeah, yeah. which makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's nice. difficult. I get what the film is doing, which is this woman could. Who does she work for? We've got no idea. She can always see everything, no matter where mm. Michael is on the train. She knows exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has this power, but she seems quite scared. She's like the people I work for. It's not. It's not me. It's not I. Boss asking yes. you. It's the people I work for. Who were they? We've got no idea. But the mystery is kind of fine. Like, you know, does it matter? The point being that she's at it again, I believe. And Mm. Michael has put some good police hours into tracking her down. Mm -hmm. She's on the train to Chicago. And she's like, basically, like, what are you going to do about it? And he's like, well, I've got my badge. Mm. So you're nicked, I guess. Yeah. And that's it. And he smiles. And he smiles because he's thrilled to bits to be a copper again. Mm. And that's the film finished.
2: That's the film finished. Uh, the only quote I've got is in terms of their collaborations. Um, uh, Joanne said, uh, the more contained space we work in, the better. We've done a plane, we've done a train. We're thinking about doing a car next. <laughs> so, something to look forward to. <laughs> Although, to be fair, Colette Serra is making uh, the Dwayne Johnson movies.
3: Oh, yeah. What's that He did called? Jungle the...
2: Cruise and he's doing uh, Black Adam, the Shazam Black Adam. sort That's of it. spin-off. Yeah. So, adaptation. he might
3: not need to do these things no, to do a
2: car anymore.
3: Oh, Nissan in a car. <laughs> I mean, what can you do? Does it always have to be transport? Can't it just be a small space? I'm thinking lift. Yeah. Yeah, you can do but it.
2: The then. thing is, I've seen an action movie set in a car. I've seen one in a lift. You know, yeah. we've seen them all now. We've seen We're, a lot of them and we we, did, we had an action movie in, in, a, in a coffin that was buried. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. It's very good. It is good. <laughs>
3: So they've okay. So no more of those, never no. mind. So that's me not going to the cinema
2: for no, the rest of my life. No, it wasn't as big a hit as Non-Stop. Oh, was it not? No. But it was still huge, wasn't it? It was fine. It did fine. Yeah, okay. yeah. It did fine. But what diminishing returns, as I keep saying. As <laughs> you keep saying.
3: All right, then. Uh, should we do the bits then? Mm. Right, what was your best scene?
2: I like the opening sequence uh, taking us through the year of his life. The slog of his beautiful I life. I thought it was... I think you can see what this direct capable of I thought as I said I thought the music was lovely I just thought it was really lovely economical storytelling
3: yeah do you wish there'd been a moment because when she when his wife points at her ring finger and he points at his ring finger I was like oh there's something there because there's an affair has been had mm. and that's why that's the arc of their relationship but it, it came to naught nothing. it would have been good if that was nothing there.
2: and even even when there's a moment with Farmiga he's, he's, no, he's very loyal he's not interested he's a, goodie. He? He's yeah. a goodie goodie two shoes
3: boring uh, I like it even though you hate the CGI and I can see why you hate the CGI I just like it when the train crashes and crumples up and we've just got some action and it's almost in the exact same spot as in Nonstop.
2: I'll give you a list of films that have good train crashes
3: <laughs> yeah okay um, uh, yeah, MVW most valuable whatever
2: uh, I think Vera for me, is really good here I think she does a lot with a little... As I said, she really, really creeped me out, yeah. which which works well for that character. So, yeah, I wish they'd given her more to do. But also, uh, that score, as I said, by Roque Banos, I thought is a beautiful score, a score that's much better than the film it's in. <laughs> uh, I looked him up. He's um, best known for his work on Evil Dead and Don't Breathe with the uh, filmmaker Fede Alvarez. Your best friend? My fr- My best friend.
3: <laughs> Fede! <laughs> Oh, <laughs> one day, Chris, one, one day, day, one day. You keep hoping, keep wishing and dreaming and keep checking your phone. Uh, mine is, it was almost uh, Shazad Latif because I was so pleased to see him. Um, and I do think all the supporting cast are brilliant. But this time I will give it to Liam Neeson because when he's a frustrated badass dad, I just get him more. He, he, he needs the furniture, the mm-hmm. ornament of I am doing this for this reason, for me. Um, Maybe not in a film that's more serious, but in Non-Stop, his backstory is so devastating and tragic and it kind of depletes from the victory. Whereas in this, it's so straightforward. I'm not saying it's the most, you know, sophisticated thing in the world, but man does things for family. Mm. I get it. And Liam Neeson is good at that. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, And what would you change?
2: Don't call your main cop Alex Murphy when Alex Murphy is one of the most famous cops in movie history.
3: Who's Alex Murphy? He's
2: Robocop. Oh, is he? (laughs) And his name is said a lot and it's pretty specific. And I just, I mean, as soon as I hear the name Alex Murphy, I think Robocop, let alone it being a frigging cop in a movie. Yeah. So don't do that. I don't, I do not understand. Someone must have known.
3: Yeah. It's bizarre. I suppose, because in a script, you, you do the surname... Oh, no, because because he calls him Murphy,
2: doesn't he? So If you're writing a script about a boxer, don't call him Hulk Hogan. There's a wrestler <laughs> called Hulk Hogan. It's just... It's not for me. Also, I think you could have some fun with Vera Farmiga's character at the end. Yeah. Like, she could be being controlled at that time, or, or I think she should have a comeback to him.
3: Well, let me tell you my change, because it's exactly that. Mm. When he arrests her... Mm. I actually felt a little bit sorry for her because she seems like a cog in the machine because she's always like, the people I work for, the people I work for. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to change the scene massively, but if she'd had much more of arrogance about her, more moments where she's like, you can't catch me, even though I always wear black and white and take the train. You'll never catch me, Michael. You're a piece of shit when it comes to cops. Then when he gets her, it would be an aha moment rather than she's like, oh, fuck. And it just, I just felt, I didn't, feel the victory for him I thought oh you've arrested a woman who's also a slave to higher up masters it mm. doesn't feel as satisfying you either get the boss in that moment because yeah. she's the boss or she's been a bit of a dick to him on a personal level about her he'll never catch her I he just does.
2: feel like we should get a sense of this larger conspiracy and I think he should he thinks he's won at the end and he suddenly gets thrown into a much bigger thing
3: yeah that's a yeah that's you a know, sequel like yeah. she
2: could pull out his wife's finger
3: exactly yeah, or his son's copy of Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's it. We're done. Excellent. OK, uh, it's time for the verdict.
1: You want answers?
2: I think I'm entitled. You to. want
1: answers! Oh, I want the truth!
3: These were my choices. They were. There you go. <laughs> I was going to help you then. <laughs> you don't need to. I've got it. I've got it down. Um, These are my choices. Yeah. So uh, I, I think I'm going to throw it over to you to go first. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All
2: right. Uh, Intrigue, suspense, tension. All of those elements are in one of these movies. And that movie is the vastly superior non-stop.
3: Why is that what you think?
2: I thought The Commuter was a bit of a snore, Vicky. Really? Yes, I did. All right.
3: All right. Well, okay. I I mean, I think it's fair to say there's not much in it for me because they are the same film. Mm -hmm. But... I think even though one makes less sense, (laughs) it's just better. I mean, I'm not using big words because one of them I just think is a little bit better. Mm. Not for any good reason, not for any validatable reason. uh, But I actually think the commuter is just better. And I'll tell you for why. Because nonstop, I can't forgive it for missing that trick of somehow making us think that Brian, Bill, what Mark, whatever he's called is the guilty party mm-hmm. and because I was so distracted by that because I was like, fuck me you nearly had something really, really good there it detracted from the rest of it um, and, you know, the stakes are a little bit lower because if, if, if uh, non-stop if Liam Neeson doesn't figure out what's going to go on then effectively he's a sad man who will go to prison? In the commuter, there are personal stakes, which it's just for me is just fractionally more engaging. Um, and so, for that reason, it's the commuter. And
2: we've got a problem now. We've got a deadlock. Alex is not here, and I've not been able to get his vote out of him. Okay. When you were offering the films to us, yeah, uh, Alex did jump in and say he wants to do the commuter. So there's a chance that's his favourite. But I mean,
3: I... since the films are so similar, how do we feel about just flipping a coin? <laughs> I'm not trying to throw the verdict section under the bus.
2: I think we announced the winner at the start of Monday's episode. Fine. Next week's, next week's episode. And if we haven't got an answer out of Alex by then, maybe the winner of the poll we will know by then. Oh, nice. Okay. So, I
3: mean, it's a good one for a poll because there's the Well, I feel like that because they're so similar.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, one of them's a lot better.
3: Right? <laughs> I don't really. Uh... Don't I don't. I don't see that. But so
2: fine. nonstop is the winner. Congrats <laughs> to Liam Neeson and Joam Colette Sarah. I, I guess that's what we should say. Congrats to the team. Who yes, keep Who made bunch of these, these films? Out. So on to next week. Uh, the clue I gave you was. Night of the Loving Dead. Lovely. That means the film that you are doing next week, Vicky, Yes. is 1990's Ghost. Lovely. Uh, That is available all over the place.
3: I mean, really, that's genuinely very exciting (laughs)
2: for (laughs) me. And the movie I am doing is 1991's Truly, Madly, Deeply. Oh. So that one is available on Apple an Apple mainly, or oh, that's where it's available cheaply. Yes. Um, is that okay? Let us know if that's okay. Is there's another film that's on there that I really want to do, but we sometimes worry if it's not that readily available. I, basically, I've never rented a film on Apple. Okay. So it's new to me, and so I worry it's a barrier to entry. Yeah. And I mean, also, *Tree of Deeply* isn't that well known a film, but it is a very special film. It's worth. You should seek it in, out, yeah. yeah, and watch it. Alan Rickman at the top of his game. It's really. Um, So, yeah, that's next week's movies.
3: Amazing. Well done.
2: And that's your lot. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, We do appreciate it. Um, If you want to follow us, get involved with the poll. It's at ClashPod on Twitter. And we'll be back on Monday to talk Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) This was a
1: Stack Production and part of the
0: Acast Creative Network.